Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 256, recorded December 22nd. Merry Christmas, everybody. Although kind of late by this point, 2016. All right, so today we're doing some uh, various IDWs, but uh, the good chunk of today will be uh, in the Kelvin universe with Boldly Go number two and three. Yes, indeed boldly, with a, a bold new but still kind of old enemy. Yes, I'm 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 really enjoying that storyline. Me too. And I kind of I kind of like how they explained why the Borger Borg is coming to the party so early. I just want to say I told you. You you told me what? That that was the reason. Oh, yeah, I, okay, I think you did. Now that you mention it. And and that is correct what you had said. <laughs> and then the other uh, issue we're doing is a is a waypoint number two, which has two short stories. Uh, one set in the Gold Key universe. <laughs> Who knew there was a Gold Key universe? But there is. And the other one set in the uh, classic Taz era. Yes, yes, with a very interesting story, I think, and um, a sur- and a surprise ending. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I I enjoyed that one better than the gold key one. I was I'll, I'll be honest, even though I was really looking forward to the gold key one. Yeah, I mean, uh, as soon as they announced boldly go, and they were like, "Yeah, we're doing a gold key story," I was like, "100 percent in." This is <laughs> this was going to be great. And and, then... and and you know, I'm going to repeat myself, but I thought they did a great job of paying homage to Gold Key, right down to a really lame story. Yeah, they could have just taken it. They could have gone even farther. <laughs> what, could have made it even schlockier? I wanted a paper mache planet, okay? <laughs> they, 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 they didn't go as far as they could. Uh, <laughs> no, they could have they, they, they could have made Kirk look like some random guy from a 50s movie. But they didn't. They didn't go that far. <laughs> so anyway, so... Uh... So we got a full plate today uh, covering Kelvin and, I guess, mostly Taz era stuff. So Right. Uh, doing a little double duty. Usually we try to get it so that we're just dealing with one particular franchise. But because these are the, the newest, the newest. Uh, IDWs, we're, we're actually trying to keep up with those so that we don't – uh, So new. that by the time we do edit or record this and edit it, it won't be like a year old. Right. And the other thing is these are – this, these are interesting. These first Boldly Go stories are quite interesting, and I don't want to wait. Yeah, I don't either. I, I'm like, I'm really liking this, and I, I hope that, uh, you know, with uh, with Neil Yutaki and stuff, that, that this will end up dovetailing into what ultimately will be Star Trek IV, um, you know, as far as, like, these things will be considered canon, kind of like how DC Comics did, you know, with their in-between movies. Okay, but 
Okay, but so you're saying the thing going on in the comic book is going to be part of canon for the movies? Yeah, well, it better be. Okay. But I'm just saying, obviously, at the end of uh, Beyond, or, yeah, Beyond, yeah, they, ha- they had the Enterprise again. So I-, I like that this is filling in the time of when they're not on the Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, and things are happening. So I'm really curious to see how some of these events are going to shape that later because uh there's some some good character moments in these two books that that are going to be a hard to like put a little rosy everything's back to the way it was uh a reset button type into the story yeah uh, so okay it'll be interesting it will be okay so uh shall we begin yeah let's do it Okay, so Star Trek Boldly Go number two. There, I don't see any issue uh, title, so we'll just go with number two. Published date, November 2016. Creative team, writer Mike Johnson. Art, Tony Shastine. Colors by David Mastro Leonardo. Letterer and world design. Production design, Neil Yutaki. Editors, Sarah Gatos and Chris Karassi. I think that's right. Publisher, Ted Adams. Okay, so we got four covers this time. Uh, they do like to go with a lot of covers on these. Uh, cover A features Sulu partially turning around to look back at the Rita, reader in a Zoolander-like supermodel pose. Uh, an orange and white action background is originating somewhere behind Sulu and going forward around him and towards the reader. It's very action-packed. Covers by George Kaltsodas. The retailer incentive cover is the Star Trek Beyond movie poster that features uh, Sulu with a swarm of ships cutting across diagonally from the upper right to the lower left. So that one didn't take them much uh, effort to create that one. Just reused the movie poster. Uh, the second retailer incentive cover is a Sulu paper figure toy, complete with several changes of clothing and a katana sword. So kind of like what they did with Kirk in the first issue. There's also a cover... Okay, so D, the last one, is, there's a cover that features Spock and his transfer orders from the Enterprise to leave on New Vulcan. So kind of showing the transitions that are going on for these characters in these, this, this storyline. Sulu was in sickbay, recounting the USS Concord's deadly encounter with a powerful new enemy that called themselves the Borg. They carved up the ship like a Christmas turkey, and when they fired back, the Borg took the entire saucer section. Suddenly, the Borg were gone. Luckily, Sulu was in transit to the battle bridge when it happened, which is the only thing that saved him, Captain Terrell, the rest of the crew, his husband and child were all taken by the Borg. Kirk assures Sulu they will follow the magnetic residence trail they left and get them all back. They call for reinforcements, but can't wait for them. The chase is on. Meanwhile on New Vulcan, Uhura shows Spock an old data file she found in a Vulcan archive that cross-referenced to the phrase, Resistance is futile. It was picked up hundreds of years ago by a Vulcan research vessel along the edge of the Delta Quadrant. 
they decided to take a break from their sabbatical and check it out. On the Endeavor, Kirk and crew discover the Borg attacker's course is a straight line to where the Kelvin was destroyed. They conjecture the Narada could be connected in some way with this powerful new Borg threat. Long-range sensors show the Borg have changed course for Romulus. Kirk orders the comm officer, Lieutenant Morcia, to contact the Bradbury and tell them to plot an intercept course with the Enterprise. Lieutenant Commander Velas asks Kirk what he plans to do when they reach the Romulan border. Crossing into their space would be an act of war. Kirk defiantly states he won't let it get that far. They are going to intercept that Borg ship before it reaches the border. They are going to get the Concord survivors back and take that thing out. Spock and Uhura secure use of a battleship on the grounds that the Federation has come under attack and New Vulcan could be next. On the Endeavor, they receive a distress signal from the Federation post Armstrong at the edge of the neutral zone. They change course. Eventually they arrive. They enter orbit with phasers hot and yellow alert. Kirk says they will try to reason with them at first. Sulu says he does not think that will work. They actually enter the atmosphere and come low to witness a Borg sphere carving up the outpost that is located on the planet's surface. Sulu says it's like the Concorde. Kirk orders phasers and a full spread of photon torpedoes aimed at the source of the green cutting beams. Their volley of weapons disrupt the Borg attack. Sensors indicate that parts of the Concorde are aboard that sphere. Human life signs are on the sphere, but they are changing. Kirk orders hold fire until they can get the Concorde survivors back. An imposing Borg appears on the bridge with a misshapen right arm that appears to be a weapon. Sulu recognizes it's Captain Terrell. The Borg, formerly known as Terrell, gives the standard Borg line about them not being able to withstand their offensive capabilities, and if they attempt to defend themselves, they will be punished. Two red shirts pull their phasers and point it at the intruder, no matter who he is or was. Kirk and Sulu try to talk to the Borg and get through to Captain Terrell. The Borg responds with a cold, detailed identification of both Kirk and Sulu. Lieutenant Marcel, apparently just using his earpiece, reports more Concord crew life signs are changing. The Borg reports their assimilation is underway. Their biological distinctiveness is being added to their own. The Borg simply states, Interfere and you will be destroyed. Resistance is futile. Have a nice day. He beams back to the sphere. The sphere takes off at high speed. Kirk orders pursuit course. The Borg cube accelerates to warp before they can beam anyone back. Kirk orders maximum warp, but Lieutenant Commander Velas reminds him of the outpost survivors that need their help and that crossing into Romulan space will invite a new war. Kirk decides to help the outpost survivors, but after that they are continuing the pursuit and get the Concord crew back. 
Scene cuts to an overhead shot of four Concord crew members at different phases of the transition to becoming Borg. To be continued. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so they continue to say, Kirk continues to be a lot of talk, um, getting people back, but how the heck's he going to do that? Even a Borg sphere, which is a lot smaller than a cube, uh, is formidable. Right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, well. <laughs> what? Well, I don't know. With, with the uh, with the JJ-verse or the Kelvin universe being so much more advanced than the Taz, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, you can't say, oh, they definitely shouldn't, they should definitely be, not have a chance at all, but uh, as we've seen, their ships and stuff in the movies are much more powerful than the original series ever had. So, well, I, I don't, I don't know how you can say that. I still don't know because how you I've can seen say the that. movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, maybe you're right, but I think that is more of a function of <laughs> it was made, you know, forty years later. And 30, 40 years later, and they got a lot more money. But I don't, I still do not think they're trying to say, um, you know, they're incredibly more advanced. I still don't, I think, what did you say before? They're, they're like on par, you know, the new Enterprise is on par with like the Enterprise D or something. I don't buy that. Well, okay. I, I know it's yeah, I a bigger know. ship. And, well, and the why, only, the, why is it bigger? It shouldn't be bigger. It should be the same I, size. Yeah, I'll tell you why it's bigger. They had to explain how they had enough shuttles to take an entire crew off of the Kelvin. And they said, if we got to have enough, if there's enough shuttles, because there was never even near enough shuttles to be able to take the Enterprise crew off from the Taz TV series. Never in a million years. And I don't think there, and there wasn't enough in any of the TV series. They also, they always had uh, escape pods and things like that. They didn't have enough shuttles. Right. And then here so, we go with the Kelvin, and the Kelvin, everybody gets off except for the people that got blown out into space. So they need more more shuttles, and if they got that many shuttles, you need a big enough ship to carry all the shuttles. I, that's my theory. Hmm. I, I never, I, I never noticed that. So nobody got onto escape pods on the Kelvin. Everybody got away with shuttles. Everybody was in shuttles. Huh. I didn't. I never noticed that. Well, remember that? Yeah. Well. You know, I know that, that Winona that, Kirk was because she was having the baby, but sure. I, I never—I I guess I never—I never thought all of them were on shuttles. I assume some were on escape pods. But ooh. well, if you go back to watch it, there's a whole bunch of little dots, you know, shuttles right. heading off away from the, um, you know, George Kirk, right. grabbing the uh, Narada. Right. I'm. I'm not. I'm not disputing you. I just never. No, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying that's. So that's Mm. my theory. Why? Interesting. That's a simple little thing, but it is like the first thing you see in this reboot universe. Right. So that's why I think they're that big. But who knows? Interesting. Yeah. Good point. Huh. So um, I. I mean, look, they still have flippy communicators. You know, the phaser. There's a flippy. (laughs) The the reboot phasers are flippy, but the hand phasers don't look any more powerful. 
Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Although we're going we're gonna to see something here in the next issue, which is going to give an idea about how tough a Borg sphere is compared to ships of the day in the Kelvin, Kelvin universe. Oh, right. All right. Fair enough. So we'll see. Right. So, um, okay, so here's something minor. Uh, one of the first things I took down was the idea that in a few shots, a few, a few of these panels, uh, is how low the Endeavor's nacelles are. So yeah, they're like parallel with the engineering section. Exactly, uh, kind of like uh, Voyager, right? So um, they're they're lower and they're closer. Uh, so the pylons don't seem to be as long as the uh, as the Enterprise. So I, you know, is that is compare and contrast? I don't think that's very much like what we saw at the end of. Um, Beyond, I don't. So the the redone Enterprise, right? I I I I think the matter of fact, if anything, I'd say that the pylons for the nacelles are longer because they seem like they're like further out from the uh, from 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 the uh, they're spread out more, right? Right. So. Right. But this is not this is not the Enterprise. This is just some I know. small science vessel. So. Well, hold on. The wait a minute. Okay, so we okay. I am talking about the Kirk ship, his new yeah. temporary ship, the Endeavor. The Endeavor. That that's a small. I thought that was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I thought I thought that was like a, a, a another Constitution class vessel, although obviously a different design. Yeah, I just assumed it wasn't, but but it never says, so I don't know. It doesn't say. I just assumed it was. Uh, of course, it does look a bit different from the Enterprise. That we're used to in the reboot right. world, and um, yeah, I was kind of wondering: is that like, is that like a more? Does that represent a newer design, or is it an older design? Because the Enterprise was brand new at the beginning, you know, at the two thousand nine movie, right? But some time has also passed, so eh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the way the engineering section is and the way the pylons come off the engineering section on this one, it looks a lot like uh, the Enterprise C to me. Ooh, that's interesting. Let Just, me, I want to look at that again. I really wasn't thinking Enterprise C, but let me look. Uh, yeah, maybe. So, like, on, I'm looking at the Comixology um, CBR, and it's on page... Uh, page 12, so it's oh, like a, hmm. a two-page with the sphere scooping out chunks of the city. It looks oh, like, right. yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like the Enterprise-C a little bit. I mean, the Enterprise-C, um, I think, had the the nacelles end up kind of going up a little bit, um, kind of like the yeah. Enterprise-D, but these would be more straight. But I'm just saying the engineering section reminds me of that. Oh, the engineering, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because definitely with the Enterprise C, the pylons come out like perpendicular, straight, right. and then has the ninety degree, um, yeah, like fold like, or I don't know, L shape. Right. I don't know something like that. Yeah, a little Enterprise D ish. 
yeah. So, anyways, yeah. so uh, may I mention my number one nitpick of this story? Please do. Let's hear and it. And it has to do with Ahura and uh, Spock. Okay. So they're Who going through the, sabbatical. Right. They're going through the oh, archives whatever. and they find ah. the phrase resistance is futile. Hundreds of years ago, supposedly. Right. Yeah, what's that about? Which really made me a little upset because all they had to do was say there was a incident on Earth ah, during uh-huh. Captain Archer's time and uh, these creatures said resistance is futile before they were blown up. So right. uh, why couldn't you just do that? Just a little nod to Enterprise. Why, why bring up an event that happened maybe 100 years before that even? Yeah, um, and saying that this happened at the edge research vessel at the edge of the Delta Quadrant, um, I thought that that helped to place the Borg in a place that we're used to them being, but I mean, they're supposed to be way deep in the Delta Quadrant, not not sniffing around the border into the Alpha Quadrant. Right. Because it's taken, what, like 30 years, 20 years for this sphere to come back after it detected um, Narada. Which they haven't – have they actually said that yet? uh, Well, that was her speculation, so maybe not. Okay. okay. So, yeah, they know there's a connection, but they haven't actually said it um, for sure in detail. But I'm just saying, they, the Borg and Enterprise did make a rudimentary sphere and were trying to make their way to the Delta Quadrant. All you, you could have just referenced that, you know, just a throwaway line in the book to acknowledge that Enterprise is canon in both the <laughs> Prime universe and the Kelvin universe, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know it, we know it is because of the new movie. Which you think is mediocre? Oh no, yeah, the new movie. Well, they don't mention Enterprise, but no, yeah, no, but but the the, the uniforms look like, um, and some yeah, of the references, right? They're similar, and then they mention Archer and in, um, in the original Star Trek 2009 yeah. movie. Oh right, yeah, yeah, and it's we've Beagle. seen, yeah, we've seen the <laughs> NX Zero One in like little hollows and stuff every once in a while in in the uh, in the ongoing. So right, yeah, they they've they've thrown us a bone or two, but. I mean, why not just go full in and say, you know, hey, Archer, Archer encountered something like this too, right? I think so that would have been better. Tie in the number, tie that tie everything together. Yeah. There you go. And then while you're at it, bring up uh, the Nero miniseries where they, where the Narada actually encountered V'ger, which was already uh, Borgified. So that's another connection that uh, the Borg have to both. Uh, the Narada and Feature. Yeah. So, yeah, I was hoping that they would tie that in too. Say, you know, that, that well, we don't know yet. So, I'll yeah. Talk. And the whole thing about V'ger. Okay. So, they, even though they upgraded V'ger, it still was such a rudimentary craft. They didn't know where it came from, the Borg. Right. And just sent it on its way to find its masters. Hmm. Because, uh, okay. So, wasn't it Voyager that had that, like, 
gold LP or something right. in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, but with no point of reference, really, any kind of information that was on the LP or etched on a plate or something like that uh, really probably would have been like, oh, this could be anywhere. Probably. Well, somehow it knew where to go back home to, so. Well, in that case, then why did it take the Borg so long to know about us? <laughs> I don't know. Because they cannot uh, assimilate LPs. <laughs> <laughs> CDs, maybe. MP3 is yes. definitely downloadable, but uh, not, not, what, not not those. What are these grooves? We do not know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so uh, let's see. So I was thinking it's a good thing they only had to go up against a relatively small Borg sphere as opposed to a cube. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the first ship to go up against the Borg sphere was the Concorde, and it was a Kelvin-style ship, an older, cruddier, right. older ship, you know, that obviously can't, couldn't stand up to the Narada, so. Sliced and diced. Sliced and diced. So at least at this point you're thinking, well, you know, uh, the Kelvin was an old ship. You know, maybe Kirk and the Endeavor will have a shot. Who knows at this point. And it is a cube. I mean, it's a sphere, right? So, yeah, it's a sphere. you know, maybe they got a shot by the end of this, you're thinking, maybe. Right. Especially if the Bradbury catches up to it. So, at least have two ships to go against it. Right. I do like seeing the Borg slicing and dicing again. Um, yeah. Especially with First Contact in the later uh, Next Generation episodes. You never saw... You never saw the the Borg scooping out uh, land masses and things like that, like they did in those first few episodes, and um, you know the uh, best of both worlds. Best of both um, worlds. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they kind of just... they kind of got away from that and they never mentioned it again. Um, but here, I mean, I love it. Just big chunks of the hole being scooped out and yeah. the ground too. Just I think they're doing a nice job. That's that's yeah. a really that's a really cool uh, that that's a two pager, wasn't it? Yeah. A nice big one, yeah. I like that. That was that was looking pretty cool. Um, interesting though, how the Enterprise came so low again. The Endeavor again, or the Endeavor? Yeah, the Endeavor <laughs> <laughs> came so low uh, down. I mean, because I'm not used to seeing that. Right. But I, I mean, I guess if they're slicing and dicing, the sphere is slicing and dicing the uh, the land based uh, outpost. I guess that makes sense. You'd have to come down to where the sphere is, right? And 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 the see, there's another uh, enhancement that these ships have that uh, Taz ships don't. That they can go into the atmosphere and under the water, <laughs> all those other stuff that the original Enterprise could never do. Okay, now we know the Enterprise can go into the atmosphere, and it did go into the atmosphere. Uh, not like this. What okay, going underwater is stupid. Okay, that's why the original Taws never went under the water. That and they had no kind of budget to do anything like that. <laughs> but um, you know, the Enterprise was in the atmosphere. Uh, remember when that uh, jet pilot um, yeah. saw it? And uh, I forgot what the name of that episode was, but um, there you go. Yeah. Right, but it didn't go down that deep into the atmosphere. It just kind of skirted the top. 
Well, it was close enough to be clearly visible by the plane, the fighter. Because he was in the stratosphere. (sighs) Whatever. It was, that it was, was the one the where air. they did the, the slingshot maneuver and, 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 and beamed him back into his own body. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't really make much sense. That, that opened the whole can of worms as far as uh, slingshotting and time and travel. time travel, yeah. Yep. But, man, it, it missed the mark on the beaming somebody back into their past body. Yeah, that yeah, was I, really creative. Really creative and really dumb. <laughs> Anyway. Anyways, um, I thought that uh, Captain Terrell has very good grooming habits, even when he's a Borg. So he's got that really cool looking uh, goatee facial hair going there. Very close crop, very nice looking. Go Captain Terrell. Well, he had that before he became Borg. And as you know, when you become Borg, you don't grow hair anymore so oh my gosh yeah, oh right <laughs> you don't grow hair anymore well isn't that convenient well most borg don't even have hair so yes you don't grow hair when you're a borg yeah well i think he still looks a little G- too gq for being borgified uh i think he looks pretty good as a borg though i, I like this borg design uh-huh yeah okay the first Borg to make it on the cover of GQ, Captain Terrell. <laughs> uh, okay. So oh, come on, that, that design is cool though, right? It looks. Oh better yeah, he than looks good. The Hugh design. Yeah, and what's the deal with that arm, man? So, um, so his arm is like. Like thirty percent longer than a normal person's because he's got that whole like is that like a gun? I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's his like his claw. right his right arm is really long because of that extension. Right, looks like a crab claw with like a little flashlight on at the end. Yeah, <laughs> and a scope or a flash. I guess a flashlight yeah. or a scope, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, maybe it's a scope. I don't know. For those long I shots, I don't know, but yeah, it looks pretty good. Um, right. let's see what else we got. I think, uh, I think Kirk is looking a bit heavier than usual at the bottom of page 17. After, uh, Terrell beams back to his ship. Okay. Uh, it looks, looks pretty thin for me. Well, oh, you're not looking at the right one. So where Terrell is all like glowy cause he's transporting yeah. back. So yeah. Kirk is like, like to the, on the left hand part of it. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's bottom heavy. Looks like he's been having a few too many uh, donuts. Uh, I guess I could see that. <laughs> I, I just very odd because every time they draw any of these people, they're like they're skinny. But whatever. I right. just thought he looked rather heavy in that one. Um, so one one question I wanted to ask you, and yes. uh, it, has, it has nothing to do with the story itself, but it has to do with a character in it. Um, who? What species is that woman that has the really big eyes? Oh, that that was in the two thousand nine movie, right? Yeah, she was. A, well, she wasn't, but one of her species was like the nurse or something uh, okay. that was helping uh, Winona. And okay, so you're saying one of the uh, one of the crew members on Kirk's staff is the same species with the really huge uh, eyes? Yeah, I'm assuming it's. I'm assuming that, that the, it's the, the brunette same. girl. 
right. lady. The, the doctor or whatever she is. Oh, she's a doctor? Well, okay. she's a science officer of some sort. Oh, okay. Science officer. Um, yeah, she's got she's got big-ish eyes, but, I mean, that woman was, like, huge eyes. And and that a lot of space between her eyes. Yeah, I'm thinking this has to be the same same species. You think so? Yeah. yeah but did it. we ever get a name for that? No, uh, I didn't. Yeah, me either. Um, maybe they mentioned it in the in the novelization or something. Yeah, they didn't. Not, not that I remember. Mm. Well, she doesn't look that weird. So I'm seeing a... Eh, I'm not getting a great uh, drawing of her. But the best drawing I've got is on page 14 so far. And her eyes don't look that whacked. They look big, but not that big. Yeah, look at page six, but again, she's in profile, kind of like the the page fourteen one. So yeah, but uh, in the last six. issue, oh, her eyes being bigger. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm pretty sure that's what she's supposed to be. Okay, well, that'd be kind of cool. They're not just nurses; they could be science officers, whatever <laughs> they are. All right, all right. That was my last comment for this one. Okay. Um, look at look at page eleven real quick. Page eleven. Page eleven. That's the only profile picture ever in this book. Oh, you mean uh, head on, face on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that profile. Um, um. Yeah, and you know her eyes look large, but they don't look. They don't look incredibly large. Hmm. Okay. But eh, maybe. All right. Well, shall we move on to three? Please, let's do that. I want to see what happens. Yeah, me too. Well, I, I will spoil it for you. Uh, it's continued, so <laughs> too exciting. Damn. <laughs> All right, so this is Boldly Go number three. came out December of 2016. All the writing and art staff is the same from the previous issue. Uh, like the previous issue, several covers, so uh, we'll just go through them real quick. The main cover shows some... Uh, thin Borg drones walking towards the reader. Uh, we see a Borg sphere in the background uh, blasting, blasting the surface of a uh, cityscape. Uh, the next cover is uh, what seems to be a movie poster from Star Trek Beyond. Uh, this one shows Ahura and the uh, Swarm Fleet. Uh, the next one is a cutout paper doll set for Ahura, so... Her and some some outfits that you can put her in, and then the last cover shows McCoy standing in front of a huge display uh, that's displaying his uh, request for transfer. So the story starts with the Borg sphere tearing through Romulan space. Uh, they claim they are in search for something called the Outlier, and we see them destroying a whole Romulan fleet. Uh, later, they uh, arrive to a Romulan outpost planet and start uh, blasting away at some fairly large cities. So, meanwhile, the Endeavor is at the edge of the neutral zone when a Vulcan ship arrives with Spock and Uhura. Now that the gang is all back together, they speed away into the Romulan zone to try and stop the Borg threat. And also find the missing Federation people from the Concord, including Sulu's husband and daughter. Uh, 
Spock and Ahura speculate that the Borg are looking for the Narada. They detected similarities between the modified future mining vessel and this new sphere. The Borg perhaps picked up the signal from the Narada and are now searching for it in the Alpha Quadrant. Since the Narada was also of Romulan design, the Borg must assume that it is from Romulan space, not knowing that it is from the future. Back on the Romulan planet in a command building, the Borg are attacking and searching in person. One Borg activates a console and pulls up what the Romulans have on the Narada. The Romulan commander who's being held up by one arm by the Borg Terrell tells them that the Narada was destroyed. Kirk, Spock, Zara, and some others beam down from the Endeavor and confirm what the Romulan is saying. They then attack the Borg drones with phasers, but the Borg have adapted and the blasts just bounce off. Using more physical means, Kirk smacks one across the face and Spock tries to attack another one. But instead of delivering a nerve pinch to the Borg, the Borg delivers nanotubes straight into Spock's neck. The Borg beam away with Spock, and then Kirk and the rest of the landing crew beam back to the Endeavor. Back on the bridge, Kirk has to tell Ahura that Spock is missing. On the Borg ship, a naked Spock is undergoing the assimilation process. To be concluded. Ouch! Ouch! So Spock gets to be Picard in this Borg story, huh? I thought Terrell was already uh, Spock. I mean, the Picard character. Picard. Well, okay. But this is the main character. I mean, like, one of the main characters off the Enterprise. Uh, uh, in anyway, so I see this as being more the uh, Picard thing, but yeah, agreed, agreed. No, I agree. I'm just telling you. Up until then, I just thought, oh, Terrell's going to be our version of Picard. But right. but yeah, no, you're right. That last page, you're like, holy moly, they're doing it. <laughs> holy for holy, Spock! Come on, Spock! Well, if anybody's going to have the ability mentally to uh, somehow undermine the assimilation process, you'd think it would be Spock. Yeah, but Tuvok couldn't, so uh, I don't see why Spock would be any different. Agreed, but it's been a long time since they broadcasted those Voyager episodes, so who mm-hmm. knows? Who knows what they'll do with this one? So, I don't know, but this this is pretty big. Right. And so, so not only has the easy defeat of the Romulans by the Borg. I mean, that Borg sphere is cutting through them. And, you know, these are full-size, you know, battle cruisers that are being torn up pretty easy. And there's like three at a time, right? Right. So these, this sphere is, is nothing to be trifled with. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty devastating, especially when it shows that city, and it's almost like Independence Day with the sphere <laughs> hovering above the city and just yeah. uh, blasting away at these skyscrapers and stuff that are just coming down. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's... if anybody's going to be able to defend themselves, it's going to be the uh, Romulans and Klingons, and they're not doing too good a job. Right. 
no, I, I, I'm enjoying that part of it. That, uh, you know, even if Kirk helps them and the people on the planet see that they're helping, you know that the rest of the, the, the Romulan government's not going to see that. And then it's going to it's going to cause all kinds of good, good uh, ramifications from that. Yes. Where the Romulans are going to blame Kirk for everything. Sure. So I, I see them setting up something that that's going to be good later on. Even if they are able to defeat the Borg Sphere somehow. Um, sleep, Spock. <laughs> sleep. Um, even if they figure out how to do it, I think um, they're going to be <laughs> – they're going to pin it on them. Somehow they'll, they'll pin it on Kirk. Right. Uh, the Romulans. So I do agree. I agree. So, um, so the outlier – that yeah. the Borg talk about. The outlier. So it's like when they first said the outlier, it was like, what the heck are they talking about, outlier? And it's like, it isn't. Okay, it's not the Narada, is it? Okay, so it's the Narada. Okay. So I was thinking, my big thing is, well, the Narada was destroyed a long time ago, and now they show up? And it's like, okay, so they got the subspace signal. I guess, and that's all they needed, and then there it was off to the races, right? Yeah. Yep. Or they could have uh, re, re, uh, you know, because when the Narada showed up to Viger, didn't didn't the Narada kind of send it back the other way, back into the Delta Quadrant? So maybe they somehow re-exposed themselves to um, to Viger, and that's that's where they got the information from. Huh? You're like, hey, this, this is Narada stuff. <laughs> ah, made up from whole cloth. Hmm. Well, uh, maybe, maybe. I'm just saying, there's, there's, there's several different circumstances where the board could have uh, gotten caught in wind of this uh, Narada ship. Right. Yeah, but okay. So somehow they got the signal. Just because they're using pork tech. Or adapted Borg tech. And where'd they get the... Where? Okay, so where did the Romulans originally get the raw Borg tech to be able to build the Narada with? I don't remember. I'd have to count down again. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Anyway, so so they got some, some, some tech from somewhere. And um, just because they used that tech in the ship, it allowed it to communicate with the Borg in the Delta Quadrant. Okay. Right. Okay. That's fine. That's, I guess that's as good an explanation as any. And, and then I guess these, these Borg don't have transwarp yet, so it took them a while to get back. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I can see that. So may, may I point out the, uh, the specious... Uh, comment that i was really un- unhappy with oh yeah go ahead so spock meets up with um uh valis right okay. the, the romulan oh right 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 um I, I don't know what her role is but um she never really seems to be at a at a con station so so i don't know what what she does exactly well she's first officer is she first officer okay yeah. All right. So, uh, so, anyways. Oh, yeah. That's right. They are. That. That's. That's. Yeah. That's right. That's my point. So, you know, she says that she's a Romulan by birth, but was raised as a human. So you're like, okay. So she's kind of like a wharf. But yeah. 
but Romulan and female, uh, which I'm okay with. That, that that part didn't bother me. It was what Spock said. He said um, uh, that he simply wanted to note that uh, that they share the experience of being uh, two of the few non-human lieutenant commanders in Starfleet. Exactly. Yes. What? I so, completely agree. Why? Everybody else is human. Yeah. Why would they make that statement? I mean, they they've got non-human captains. I mean, I, I I I think there's many examples of where that sounds like it's patently a uh, a statement that doesn't make sense. Right. Given what we have seen about, I mean, it may be a Homo Sapiens club, but I don't think the Federation. I, I think there's lots of other aliens on those ships. Right. Well, well, I mean, wasn't that the that was the big deal with the uh, the last movie where they showed fifty different alien species in the movie right. that we'd never seen before. Yep. And I mean, they're all in the on the on the are they're all crew members and stuff. So you're saying nobody of that species has ever made it back to the rank of uh, lieutenant commander. lieutenant commander. That's that's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I didn't like that either. I, I made a note about that myself. I mean, I would like to think that uh, fingerhead people can uh, be lieutenant commanders and captains too. Uh, fingerhead. What? What's fingerhead? Oh, whatever that woman was that had the finger for her head that she put the artifact in to hide it. Oh, right. <laughs> That's a weird head. <laughs> That's freaky. Yeah, right. that that was a that was a good alien design though. I like that one. Different. So you you watched Beyond here recently? I uh, have just watched it in, in glorious 4K. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, isn't there a little Munchkin guy from from the beginning, but like wearing a little Starfleet uniform? Well, okay. So you're talking about that one that's walking with Kinzer. Uh, is that is that where it is? I don't know. I've only seen yeah, the movie. So, so Kinzer is walking next to one of those little guys that attacked Kirk at the beginning. Right. And and I don't think it has a Starfleet uniform, but it does have like a shirt on and no pants. Right. And then Kirk it, makes the joke. What does he say? He uh, he says uh, he says the thing's name and he says. Still wearing no pants, I see. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I love that. That's great. It's like a Donald Duck moment or something. <laughs> right. So is he going to be on the new ship? I, I don't know. I have He's no gonna idea. He's going to be Kinzer's little buddy. So Scotty is mean to Kinzer. Kinzer's mean to that little dude. Oh, it could be. It could be. Uh, feces runs downhill. That's what I hear. <laughs> and that little fella uh, is at the bottom. But he 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 moved up the ranks pretty quick. If he's already on on already through Starfleet and everything, nah, I he yeah. was wearing a little gold shirt, if I remember right. Well, I thought everybody was in casual clothes. Oh, were they I think everybody there? was out of uniform, weren't they? I don't know. I don't remember. It was a party. Yeah, they're at a bar because they're. It was a party. Yeah, they had a rented room and everything. Anyways, so here's the question I've got. Um, so Uhura and Spock leave the Vulcan battleship behind and go, and go on the, uh, Endeavor? 
Right. It's like, what? You need all the firepower you can get. Well, I'm pretty sure the Vulcan High Command wouldn't have uh, authorized that battleship to go into a battle. It was just to drop them off and come back. Oh, I that's not my understanding of when they left. I mean, the reason I don't I don't think that's the case at all. But I mean, it was a limited amount of conversation um, right. between you know what's the actress's name again that they're using her likeness. Judy. Judy, Judy Dench. Judy Dench. So, and did she give the authorization for that? By the way, is she? Does she have to authorize anything? Because she's never been in a Star Trek thing, right? No. I mean, you sign your life away and your likeness away when you do one of these movies. You 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 sign it away. So, but she's never done a Star Trek movie, so I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but I, I think it's cool. We keep seeing her. Right. Um. Anyway. So. Uh, I. I thought she gave them use of the ship, uh, the battleship, uh, as opposed to some kind of research thing, because they might actually get into trouble, you know, uh, going up against the Borg. And why? I mean, yes, they're going into Romulan territory, so that's risky, yes. But you know what these things can do. Or why would you not want two ships? Well, speaking of two ships, what happened to the Bradbury? Oh, good question. That's my other question. Now, they did talk about, oh, the Borgs must have destroyed the subspace relays in this area because we, you know, we're on our own. We can't get a hold of anybody. Oh, okay. But that, they said that after they supposedly request, exactly, supposedly right. requested that Bradbury do an intercept course. Now, are they trying to retcon that? Or not retcon, but are they trying to say that the signal never got, got to the Bradbury? Right, because maybe. they just discovered, oh, we discovered hours later that all the satellite, you know, the, re- the subspace relays are destroyed. So that did seem, it didn't quite make sense to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I expected them to at least mention that the Bradbury engaged before they went over, went went to the neutral zone and, and was blown up or something like that. Right. But they never say that, so. Yeah, it's so, like yeah. I guess I guess they're saying that they never got the scan. Never got the never signal. got. Yeah, I I guess uh, that I or guess. else that or else is going to show up in the nick of time or something. But mm, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, I I would be going with two ships. Right. You know, but whatever. What if the Bradbury shows up and it's like vengeance? It looks like vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's how they end. They're like, oh, thank goodness we got these giant. Vengeance class ships now. Exactly, with those amazing uh, weapons of death. Yeah. Right. Those two and, nasty things. And one of the coolest uh, saucer sections of, of all Star Trek. Do you think it's that cool? I do. It's I, different. I like, I like it's that, different. Uh, the negative space. The, the you know, the... Yeah, the dumb, empty dumb, space. Dumb shape almost. Well, yeah, and my question is why? Why do you even do that? Because it looks cool. Well, okay. I agree with that. I'm just talking about the practical reason. I mean, well, it's, it's, a, it's a hole. I mean, you could fill that in with decks and stuff. I mean, yes. what's, it, what's the benefit of it? Well, they, they did say that they don't need, they don't need a be- very big crew, right? Wasn't uh, that true. Yeah, the automation. thing is that automation. it was all automated? Yep, yep. So why build a whole bunch of crew quarters that you don't, won't ever need? Hmm? You could have a point there. You could have a point there. 
But the thing is huge. I mean, the thing is, what, what is it, three times the size of the Enterprise? I don't know. Yeah, it it's pretty. huge. It's big. I, it, blew, it blowed up really good, though. It blowed up real good, but uh, <laughs> it crash-landed real good. Yeah, all Star Trek movies have to have a big crash landing now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, definitely when uh, the new Enterprise went down, it was like uh, generations all over again. Okay, the last thing I just wanted to say before, just generally speaking, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to Spock in this whole thing, is I just want to briefly comment how Lieutenant Marcel looks like a teenage hero of an anime comic. At the top of page six. Which one's Marcel? Is she the one with the big eyes? He. He's the comm officer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like Speed Racer or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or one of those... I, I don't know. It, he just looks like a really young anime star. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. That's that's all I want to say. Well, the, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, Sulu's... Sulu's family, his husband and daughter. So in Star Trek Beyond, you know, we see them, but they're not introduced or anything. So, you know, it, it never comes out and says that it's definitely his husband or uh, uh, daughter. But here, definitely that, that was his husband. That was his daughter. Yep. And now they're going to be Borgs. Yeah. Exactly. And it's going to be interesting because I don't see how they're going to get out of this. There's so much time going by. Um, the people that were on, uh, what, the Concord? Mm-hmm. Was that it? Um, they have been with the Borg a long time. Um, right. And I don't see them having mercy on the child, per se. Um, never have before. Exactly. And certainly not the, not the husband. So I don't see how they're not going to be Borgified. So maybe this is how Sulu gets single again, but I really can't see them doing that. I mean, that's kind of a big thing. Don't you think? It's a huge thing. Um, for them to do in a comic book. Right. Right. Which then will cheapen the whole, I mean, we already got Spock now becoming a Borg, uh, which, you know, we know he's not going to stay Borg. So they're going to somehow be able to fix it, which is something that, you know, even our beloved doctor from Voyager could never actually fully do with uh, Seven of Nine. But that's uh, only after it's, it it stays in him for a while and the body becomes dependent because Picard got unborgified. Right. So, but that took everything Beverly had of in the future with all her future knowledge to be able to do and I'm worried that McCoy is going to be able to do it in a panel. Just like, oh yeah, by the way, I fixed him, took all that mumbo jumbo out. <laughs> oh, Sulu, here's your kid and husband. They're all unborgified too. Yeah. Pay me in the morning. You know, yeah. Yeah. So that, that just, to me, that takes away some of the mystique of the Borg is that, you know, you know, because they're supposedly like chopping off arms and stuff to put exactly. these things on. So exactly. I don't care if they're like, okay, we we un we disconnected you from the Borg, but you don't have an arm anymore. You know, yeah. which which always kind of bothered me at the end of Best of Both Worlds that you know, aside from a 
you know, uh, the a next few episode and, and a <laughs> random, face. a random reference here and there. You know, he never has any ill effect from being a part of the Borg. Well, physical, right? He's got mental problems, but but even those don't, don't manifest very often. It's maybe yeah. twice ever. Yeah. Well, when the plot deemed it <laughs> deemed it necessary, right? Right. So I'm just saying, I, I I would I would like to think that the Borg are a little more intrusive than than what we're led to believe. Yeah. No. But but we're gonna get that again here. I bet. Probably. Boldly go number four. McCoy fixes all the Borg, <laughs> and they all live happily ever after. Exactly. Everybody from the Concord gets back, including Captain Terrell. Right, and all these Romulans that are getting scooped up. It was a pretty, pretty intense moment when that, w- that woman Romulan is like, you know, screaming, no, not my baby, not my baby. Yeah. And the Borg are just like, yes, it's <laughs> your baby. I am taking it. And, and that and that page, um, that attack on that Romulan planet, that's amazing. That That's really cool looking. Right. It's only one page, so it's not a two-pager, but it's like, it's just really cool. The detail they've got of the uh, buildings blowing up from the bot from me from the ground, right. and those people going flying, and even that little girl that's trying to run out from the flames, and then the guys right. looking back and stuff. It's like that's pretty intense stuff. That's great. It, it was. It's Love good. It. That's good like, artwork. That's like movie stuff. Yeah, Independence Day. That's what yeah, that's what you me. said. That's right. Yeah. You said that before. But that artwork is great. Very impressive. Okay. That's right, it for that else? one. All right, shall That's we? That's all move I on? have. Yeah, me too. Okay, let's do some uh, modernistic gold key. <laughs> yeah. So two stories, and like last time, we did a waypoint, um, or really any of these. You know, we'll do the story, and then we'll comp- talk about it, and then we'll talk about the second story and comment. Okay, so this one's waypoint number two. Published date is November 2016. Um, issue creative team is editor Sarah Gatos, assistant editor Chris Sarasi, production design by Neil Yutaki, publisher Ted Adams. There's three covers. Cover A shows an unusually skinny Kirk, Spock, and McCoy on a planetary surface. Kirk has his phaser out, and the two blue shirts are taking tricorder readings. The Enterprise is um, in set behind and above them, streaking through the clouds. Pretty cool looking. The retailer incentive cover is just a photo of Spock and Kirk standing next to each other with Kirk pointing with a Klingon disruptor in his his hand. So, they have the Dove. I'm not sure which episode, but they've got a disruptor. Kirk's got a disruptor. The subscription cover features a classic, cool-looking gold key cover with Kirk and Scott on foot and about to be squashed by a Klingon operating some kind of huge retro mech kind of suit or something. Um, you know, kind of like Ripley, but bigger and golden and uh, really schlocky. But wait, Spock is coming up behind the Klingon in a second mech ready to attack. So pretty, pretty cool cover. Yeah, I mean, it, it just just screams gold key. Okay, story number one, The Menace of the Mechanitrons. 
which is a Star Trek gold key story. It's very important to get these uh, little subtitles straight. Writer Dayton Howard and Kevin Dilmore. Art Gordon Purcell. Colors Jason Lewis. Letters and World Designs. The Enterprise is responding to a distress call from the Federation scout ship Ad Aspera. The distress signal is coming from the planet Figma 4, which reportedly has been ravaged by a global war. Spock observes the scavenging survivors of that war would find an advanced ship like the Ad Aspera a desirable acquisition. Kirk, Spock, Scotty, and Nurse Chapel beam down to Figma 4 to find the Ad Aspera. Spock points to the location of the ship, but calls it doomed, and says there are no life signs aboard her. They reach the ship, and Spock announces his tricorder has detected the presence of large deposits of gravitite. Scotty says that is a valuable find due to its use in producing artificial gravity on spaceships and space stations. Once this gets out, all the spacefaring races will be clamoring to help Figma 4 rebuild to get all that gravitite. They find the Ad Aspera is being torn apart by Klingons. Some of the Klingons are wearing golden mech suits that aid in the disassembly of the Federation ship considerably. Chapel assumes the Klingons have subjugated the Feigmans to mine the gravitite for them. Kirk makes the bold and foolish decision to take the Klingons on here and now, despite them being outmanned and outgunned. They lose quickly and are disarmed. The gold key required bald guy turns out to be a talkative Feigman, who makes it clear to Kirk that the Klingons subjugated them fair and square when they showed up with superiority of their offensive tech and tactics. Kirk seizes upon an opportunity and proposes a challenge to the Klingon commander. A contest. The winner will prove their superiority and by Feigman custom control the planet. The loser will get out of Dodge. Though they already have control of the planet, the Klingon leader enthusiastically puts it at risk by agreeing to battle using the Mechanitrons, which is apparently their name for the golden uh, mechs that the Klingons have been using to disassemble the the Ad Aspera. The Klingons give them two broken-down Mechanitrons to use. Scotty, with Nurse Chapel's aid, set to work scavenging parts from one to get the other fully functional. Spock familiarizes himself with the controls. Kirk and Spock talk about how important this fight is, since if they lose, the Klingons will be able to control not only the planet, but this entire section of the galaxy. So much at stake. Not clear why Gravitite and the artificial gravity it would bring would be such a tactical advantage, but let's just go with it. Meanwhile, the scheming Klingons talk among themselves and disclose to the reader that they sabotage the Mechanitrons given to the Federation team, and they are commencing a sneak attack on the Enterprise now. Up in space, 
ship sensors pick up a Klingon attack ship that looks like a box with a red window. Five Klingons in mechanitron suits exit and fall towards the Enterprise. Sulu sounds the red alert and contacts the landing party to describe the Klingon attack. Scotty suggests to reverse polarity of the hull, which might short-circuit the mechanitrons. Scotty's idea does the trick and throws the mechanitrons into disarray. Meanwhile on the planet, Kirk is in a mechanitron and fighting a Klingon, also in a mechanitron. Kirk is holding his own when his mechanitron starts to smoke from overheating. He must get out of this useless hulk. Just when the Klingon is about to land a death blow to the exposed human captain, the Klingon's mechanitron is struck from behind and disabled. It's Spock! Scotty was able to get the second mechanitron working just in time for Spock to jump in and enter the fray and defeat the Klingon. Despite the Federation team using two mechs, where the Klingons only used one mech, they are crowned the victors. The Klingons, for some unknown reason, respect the Feigman's traditions and leave the planet, thereby giving up control of a portion of the galaxy. The Feigman's offer themselves to Kirk for him to command. Kirk gives them their freedom and promises to return to help rebuild their world. Oh, and they wouldn't mind buying some of their gravitite, too. Gold Key Required Ball Guy says, Thank you, my new friends! As the Enterprise rockets off to their next adventure, Spock's head, suspended in space, observes that he was the right Vulcan at the right time to defeat the Klingon's mech. The end. Disembodied heads. Yes. Stupid disembodied heads. And really big, too. His disembodied head was bigger than the Enterprise. Well, he does have a big ego. He does. Big head, yeah. Big head. So so, so what'd you think? Um well let me mention off the things that I I liked. Okay. There's there's one thing that I absolutely loved more than anything. What? And that's the fire from the nacelles. Oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that... at least at least they didn't have fire coming out of the uh shuttle bay. I know that's a miss. That's all, that's all my <laughs> miss. <list. laughs> okay. No, well, I, I like. I thought that was great. Yeah, I like the the word balloons using the the old uh, square. The old square. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, and the bald guy. I love seeing the bald guy. Uh, Lex Luthor like gold key bald guy. Well. And then. Uh, yeah. I, mm, 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 mm. That might be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I like how they were using, like, leather belts. The belts, yes. I, love I like that. that. And, and then I think, did they have the backpack? Or they had something that was backpack-like that I, I was happy to see. Yeah, but um, uh, actually, well, they, they, they did yeah, have no, backpacks. They're, the backpack, yeah. they're wearing backpacks, but they're not big square boxes. Yeah, that uh, well, that that would make it really gold key. Actually, they are square boxes. Look at uh, 
page five at the bottom, Scotty's is is pretty. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that that looks like a reasonable backpack. When I say the square boxes, I mean like a literal square box where yeah, like... you know the back is like four feet deep or something. It's just ridiculously big. <laughs> Right, which doesn't make sense. This looks more like a rectangle, which is reasonably close to Scotty's back. Right. All right. What What were the, some of the things you liked and not liked? Um, I I thought the art was good. I I enjoyed the art. Um, it was it was gold keyish without being too gold keyish. And and I, as I mentioned before. Um, some of that gold key, uh, drawings, especially in the early years of those comics, um, they, it was obvious that the Italian artists had never seen Star Trek and they don't know what people look like, except for Spock. They often got Spock. They were often close with Spock, but Kirk frequently did not look anything like Shatner. Right. But I wanted Spock's ears to be... As big as they are in the gold key. I mean, that, that's that part of what big. I love about gold key is just like he had Yoda ears. Yeah, he here, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty well, tame here. You know, in a lot of ways, I think, I think they, they did a better gold key. And maybe in doing a better gold key, it was not as honest uh, with the original comics. So... Yes, Spock does not have stupid big ears. Yes, Kirk actually looks like William Shatner. Uh, <laughs> yes, we don't have uh, flames coming out of the uh, the engineering uh, secondary hull. Right. So it's kind of like they avoided the really, really stupid things. Um, but they still had a lame story, so there you go. All right. And in regards to the story... Um... You know, it, it it borrowed a lot from classic episodes, right? The mm-hmm. whole, um, you know, we'll do a, a challenge or something <clears throat> for control of the planet. I mean, right. that was kind of done in the original series a time or two, right? Uh, kind of. But, and then, yeah. And then definitely in the comic books, we had like Maggie's World and stuff like that where they were, you know, and it happened several times where it was like, uh, whoever can colonize the planet better, whoever can do this oh, yeah, better, yeah, gets yeah. gets the planet. Well, trouble with know. tribbles. Wasn't that the basis of that? Oh, right, right, right. The agricultural thing. Right. See, <clears throat> so it it has it has its basis. But then, uh, then the, as far as the mech costumes go, um, I mean, didn't we already see a comic book where Sulu's family uh, makes these mech suits and? Yep. There was a big fight scene. Yeah, with, with that, that was I think in DC Volume One. So, yeah, yeah I just kept waiting to see uh, Sulu in one, but he never got to get into one in this one. Yeah, yeah, quite a coincidence that uh, Sulu's family was getting rich from making those things in that other comic. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, the robotic suits, I think they look very gold key, very cool, but really. So <laughs> so they launch five guys in these mech suits out at 
at the Enterprise. So that that's their space attack. Five guys in the suits. Um, again, I'll say it. The same thing I said for that one where the Klingons were launching themselves. Just shoot them. I mean, they're coming <laughs> towards you. You've got phasers. Just shoot them. Right. And it's not like they can't hit precise things because I've seen them hit hit things on the planet. Yep. And that's orbit. a lot further away than somebody actually coming at you. Right. You shouldn't. It should be easy to hit them. They're coming to you. They're coming closer and closer. Point blank range. Boom. Gone. But, eh. Yeah, but then we got we got the That'd zap. That'd be too easy. That'd be too easy. I, I kind of like the, the zapping them when they landed on the surface. Nah. <laughs> By reversing the polarity. Isn't that something they used to do on uh, Enterprise? To zap people? No. To when they, rather than raising the shields... They would like reverse polarity on the armor plating or something. Um. Oh come yeah, on! I, I don't remember you're... what the terminology was. I know what you're oh, talking okay. about. Yeah, but it was something like that. Polarize the whole plating. Polarize the whole plating. There you go. Okay. Well, whatever. Whatever polarizing means in this instance. Right. Um. Hey. Yeah, you would think um, that if it was reverse polarized, it would start attracting things to it, like a big magnet. <laughs> if that's even what it means. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know what they're trying to say. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I like how uh, Nurse Chapel plays a pretty good role in this. So and she's in my there. My knowledge was never in Gold Key, so. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, but it was great seeing her. Um, mm-hmm. Agreed. It looked I kind of like... wish that it was uh, Rand, though. Since oh. Rand did did make an appearance in the Gold Keys. Huh? That might have made more sense. So, to my knowledge, Klingons also never made an appearance in Gold Key. Now, I, I haven't read all of them, but uh, I don't believe there's ever actually an actual Klingon character in Gold Key. Oh, sure there is. Is there? Yeah, I think we did a review of one that had a Klingon, but the Klingons didn't look like Klingons. They look like, I don't know what they look like, um, circus strongmen? I'm not quite sure, but their outfits, yeah, you remember that one, one of the ones we covered was had that Klingons gold, in it. Was that Gold Key, or was I, that, uh, I thought that was, um, I thought that was Gold Key. I but, thought that was early DC. Did, and Ahura did had to DC set up do that bad? She had to set up a phaser or something. Um, was it Klingons or Romulans? I I, I don't remember. Well, okay. Um, I don't know. What I remember is there was a gold key where there were Klingons, but the Klingons looked nothing like Klingons. You know, it was just it was just boneheaded again. Right. Um, hey, there's bad guys called Klingons. Uh, what can you draw there, Luigi? And, uh, of course, what they draw is nothing, looks nothing like a Klingon. Mm. All right. Well, these Klingons look like Klingons. Yeah. I think they did a decent job. Again, it's kind of like a better gold key. (laughs) I mean, at at least from the standpoint of of continuity, consistency, you know. Maybe the people producing it might have seen an episode. (laughs) Right. So... I thought that was better, but anyway. 
Um, okay, so well, hold on. I got I got one oh, more that okay. was never in a gold key that is okay. here. What? Uh, on page nine. Yeah. Archie. <laughs> I had the same thing. I have the same thing. Looks like Archie is manning the helm while Sulu is at the con during the sneak attack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that. How? Of course, I noticed that. I know you did. That's I'm why about I as anti, I'm about as anti-Archie <laughs> as you can get. That's why I wanted to say it first. Okay, good, good point. Um, so the name of the ship I found very odd. So Ad Aspera is the name of the ship. So I wasn't like Ad Aspera. I know what um, Ad Astra means to the stars. But I didn't know what ad aspera meant. So to what? What's aspera? So I did a little search. And according to um, whatever site I found this on, um, ad astra per aspera in Latin means to the stars through difficulties. Okay. Um, so, but, so the name of the ship was ad, was ad aspera. So it means... To difficulty? They actually named the ship to difficulty? Hmm. Which is like, wow, okay. Um, Well, they had trouble. They got in trouble. But why you would call your ship that in the first place, I don't quite know. But maybe they were just kind of like saying, oh, let's figure out a name for this. Uh, You know, how about about Latin for this ship's in in deep doo-doo? <laughs> so I, I found the name interesting. Huh. Well, I'm glad you looked it up. I, w- I wouldn't have bothered. Yeah. Well, uh, there you go. Sometimes I do that. Uh, one, one last thing I want to mention is issue number three of Waypoint will have a, D- a DS9 story. Oh, will it? Yes. It said that at the end? Uh, it did not. But when I went to Lone Star Comics, one of my favorite comic places on the web, Yes, I just gave it a plug. Um, they, uh, they're showing issue number three, and the cover they're showing uh, is um, Cisco and Company. Cool. Yeah, very cool. I think so. Quark and, like, most of the gang is there in the picture, in the cover. And I'm not sure, but I think it's uh, Worf in the back. Yeah, I think that's Worf. Cool. I wonder what the other story is. Uh, don't know. Maybe two uh, DS9s? Maybe not. Oh, wow. No, it's uh, it's Voyager. Oh, the second one's Voyager? Oh, yeah. cool. Okay, there you go. Yeah, That's the great. first story will be called Mother's Walk, which has Major Kira. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is called The Wild Man Maneuver, where an unlikely member of Voyager's crew saves the ship. Huh. Well, there awesome. You go. Good job. Yeah, so... So I think we're gonna four, end up. Well, I think we're gonna end up doing that sooner than later. So issue four must be uh, Enterprise. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Just don't hold your breath. <sighs> it's held. Okay. Okay. So that's all I have to say about that one. Um. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say either uh, about this one. Just, I mean, I, I didn't hate it, but. Uh, you know, I think that if you're going to uh, poke poke light at something that's so rife with the uh, with 
things to poke fun at, uh, mm-hmm. they could have they could have gone another step forward and really drove home some of the jokes that, uh, you know, by making his ears bigger and things like that. But like you said, maybe they were trying to take it more seriously than than I wanted them to. <laughs> right. But this, I mean, in a lot of ways, they didn't take this too seriously. No, I mean, they're pretty light on that. It was I mean, a light they, story, you know. Yeah, and it had mechs in it, and that's always kind of hokey. And these these guys look really hokey, and and yeah. and that's what you would want from a gold yeah. key yeah. story. Yeah, it's like some schlocky nineteen fifties thing, right? Made in the seventies, exactly, <laughs> exactly, right. So yeah, so it's a comic in the style of the seventies and the style of the fifties. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now you've got it. Now I got it. Okay. All right. So shall we move on to the second half? Please. Let's do this last one. Okay. So story number two is Legacy. It's got a title, Legacy. And this one is a Star Trek story. Not a Star Trek gold key story, but a Star Trek story. And the creative team, writer, Sam Maggs, art, Rachel Stott, colors, Mark Roberts, letterer, and world designs. A scene from the Taws episode, by any other name, plays out. But this time, we get a look inside the head of an expendable minor character named Yeoman Leslie Thompson, just after she died on an away mission. She is one of the two crew members that had all of her water removed until she became a hand-sized beige cuboctrahedron. Cuboctrahedron. I think I have that right. Of chemicals. So it's like a multi-sided, you know, kind of like a softball size uh, bunch of chemicals, which is theoretically what we all are once you take the water out. So, great. She was thinking about her legacy when her body, now in the form of a cubohectoron, whatever, uh, a ball of chemicals, was crushed by the episode's bad guy named Rojan. She thinks back on the start of this mission, before being arbitrarily dehydrated and crushed by a power-hungry maniac on a whim. With the apparent blessing of death giving her omniscience, she notes how she has the dubious honor of being the only woman to die on an away mission during Captain Kirk's infamous five-year mission. Good for her. She thinks how she'd rather be remembered for something she did rather than what was done to her. So she recalls from her past her role in eliminating a creepy mirror universe version of of the captain and the rest of a landing party by working on modifying the transporter. She is an engineer, after all. The second instance how she risked her life to save Captain Kirk from the Doomsday Machine by again fixing some circuits related to the transporter, but this time while she's in a Jeffrey's tube. Finally, the countless other times she fixed the transporter and saved crew members in trouble in one place or another. She thinks how she believed in Starfleet more than anything while also remembering her family a green and purple-colored alien significant other, and an adopted Vulcan child. She will never see them again. She finally realizes you can't choose your legacy. History will do that for you. 
In the end, she may not be known for what she accomplished, but if what she lost, what she is willing to sacrifice in the name of Starfleet, is to be her ultimate legacy, then she hopes it does some good for someone somewhere. Cut to the future, to a stone monument located on the grounds of Starfleet Academy, where a young female cadet is staring at the engraved name of Yeoman Leslie Thompson. It is a monument to the women of Starfleet, who gave up their lives in the exploration of the final frontier. The cadet, perhaps named Catherine, gathers strength and takes pride in those who bravely went before her. The end. So is that a Catherine Janeway? I think it could be. Although, uh, as I mentioned to you before we began the recording, I don't think I mentioned it on air. Um, I did the first several, when I did the synopsis, when I, when I read through the whole thing, I, mean, I looked at the last page several times, but I did not recognize, hey, she kind of looks like Captain Janeway. And you, you knew right away, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it right away. Yeah. So that that gives it even more meaning. So that's cool. Right. She's, so right here yeah. is the first time a Voyager character's made it to an IDW oh, issue. Good point. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, she's quite lovely, long hair, um, and it does look like um, the actress, Kate Mulgrew. That's it, Kate Mulgrew. That's her. Before yeah, she became a younger version. Yeah, yeah. Before she became, um, but orange is a new black. She's oh, on that series right now. Yeah, yeah, right. And she does. She's mm, looking worse for wear in that one. <laughs> but well, I mean, that's that's the point of the character, right? She's not glammed up. Right, right. Yeah. So that monument, you think it's that monument is just the uh, people who were female and lost or yes. just people who were lost? I know it that's is? what it was. Does it say it that? It says right there. Yes. Where does it say that? Okay. So I, I zoomed in on the monument. And on you the see last the, page. On the last page. And if you look at the inscription, it says... Oh, yeah. sure does. Wow. Yeah. So for that's, I, I worked that into the, uh, the end. So it's a monument of the women of Starfleet who gave up their lives in the exploration of the final frontier. So it, that, that isn't exactly what the monument says, but that's pretty much what it says. Right, and then it has the Starfleet swoosh up at the top with yes. the uh, female symbol in the, inside the swoosh. Exactly. Interesting. Woman, uh, woman power. But, well, it's good that there's not that many names on it. Well, yeah, and there's room for more. So you notice how they have room for more. They can keep on going up. Okay, so it's a decent-sized monument. I don't know how many names are on there. What, 54. 50? Oh, you counted. Okay, you did multiplication probably. So yeah. um, so it's like three columns, and then I don't know how many rows. You probably did math. There's, so, there's 18 rows with three, three columns. There so. you go. So, and of course, I think you and I were probably thinking about the same thing. It's like if, it's, if she is the only female crew member to – to to eat it on an away mission uh, in the five-year mission, then the man's version of that must be huge. Mm-hmm. Whole lot right. of names. Whole lot of names. 
Right, especially from this point, you know, in Jane, where Janeway is. I mean, is Yar on there? And everybody who, you know, every ship that blew up during the uh, the Borg attack, there was only 54 total women in all of Starfleet that died up to this point. Yeah, it seems like a little number. Something's wrong. Yeah, or the definition of who goes on the monument is a little different. Or it's like very narrow. The number, the number of women who died on the Enterprise at one point or another. Okay, maybe. <laughs> right. Or maybe the number of women that that uh, had to put up with Kirk passes, and well, the number would be too low. But yeah, who knows? Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of. It's a little. It's like they they recognize something from watching the original series. Like, hey, there's not a lot of women crew members, and there's definitely not any women crew members that die. So let's make let's make a story of it. And I don't know. I, I thought it was a good story. Just I I, I think it's a little sexist. Um, it's either sexist that you're you're making making. You're drawing attention to something that was maybe unintentionally or intentionally sexist in the '60s, uh-huh. or you're you're being sexist now, saying that out of all the Starfleet crew, there's only been 54 women who died in service. Which we know people die all the time in Star Trek. Ships blow yeah. up, all yep. kinds of crazy stuff happen, and you yep. would think that there's more than 54 women on any one of those ships. Yeah. So I, I don't agree. know. Uh, again, I just think it's 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 a cute story. I love you know her all her facial expressions when Scotty's getting credit for being the miracle worker when she's the one in the Jeffrey's <laughs> tube. <laughs> so I mean, I don't want to think too much about it, but because it's a light story, and I love the end with Janeway, but just that that monument just kind of. But anyways, overall, I enjoyed the story. I like I like seeing uh, you know scenes we know, but from. You know, the grunt's point of view. Exactly. From a totally different point of view, I like that. It's kind of like the new uh, Star Trek TV series. It's going it, to, it is doing it from the standpoint of the um, first officer. So they're not going too far down the chain of command, but at least it's not the captain who's the focus, focal point all the time. Oh, I bet she'll be the captain by the time the first season's over. Oh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, you know, there were a lot of episodes in Next Gen that very much uh, Riker was in the driver's seat on. So, um, I, I, in many ways, I see this as like, you know, the Riker show. You know, although right. I, it's it's a it's going to be a female lieutenant commander, um, right? And of course, this is old news by the time this comes out. And heck, at our the rate we're going, this may not come out until after the show starts. But you you saw the casting news of who's going to be the uh, lieutenant commander. I did, but I forgot. Okay. Well, it's um, it's one of the actresses that is in The Walking, Walking Dead. Walking Dead, right. Sasha from The Walking Dead, that's right. Right, Sasha. That's it. That's her first name. Yeah, so um, she's a good actress. Mm-hmm. So well, we'll see how she does. Anyways, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and um... – I mean, as far as this issue goes, I don't really have that much more to say. I have one more thing to say. All right. So uh, Rojan, who was the bad guy who crushed crushed her. Um, Turned him into D&D dice? <laughs> yes, yes, kind of, exactly. 
Um, he, I, I did not make the connection before, but that actor had also starred in Forbidden Planet, and he was the doctor, the ship's doctor. Okay. So that's kind of cool. So, um, you know, there's an actor who was in Forbidden Planet, uh, basically played the McCoy character, and Roddenberry really modeled Star Trek to a large degree off of Forbidden Planet, um, which I think we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just thought it was interesting casting. I, I hadn't put the two and two together with, with that actor before until I saw this, uh, this hmm. issue, this story. Yeah, I don't remember Forbidden Planet all that much other than Leslie Nielsen's in it. Uh, you, when's the last time you saw that movie? I've only seen it once, and it was probably about 20 years ago. Oh, you know, you really should watch it. Okay, I'll give it a watch. Because, I tell you, if uh, if Roddenberry did any... Um, I mean, if if he could be accused of copying anything, it would be Forbidden Planet to create Star Trek. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's it's the same kind of thing. So, you know, Leslie Nielsen's Kirk. Right. And they're on a mission. They they check on uh, colonists and, and people like that, make sure they're medically sound and everything. Everybody's cool. Um... They got a ship's I mean, there's like three main characters: the ship's doctor, the first officer, and the captain. And um, the captain ends up, you know, meeting Anne Anne Francis, the hot chick. So he ends up, you know, saving the damsel in distress and and leaving with her. Um, it's just amazing. Hmm. The parallels just keep going. Right. All right, I'll give it another watch. It's been like I said, it's been a while. Yeah, it's really good. All right, last thing on this issue. Um, I did like that they acknowledged that she had a family outside of Star Trek mm-hmm. or Starfleet. Yep. It did make it a little sad that, uh, you know, this this little girl and her partner. Yep. Well, never know that they yep. were the last things on her mind when she died. Yeah. And um, it's funny because, again – uh it's an, it's not only an alien that she married but it looks like it's a female alien that she married mhm so in starfleet but she never made it to lieutenant commander <laughs> sorry just kidding keep going oh oh are you about the new tv series no that remember the in the last one spock said that there was only oh two right right aliens right, right that made it to lieutenant commander exactly sorry. exactly gotcha gotcha sorry I wasn't. I yeah, didn't, it was, I didn't it was put two and two together. Yeah, it was bad. But yeah, so yeah, female, alien, interracial, and interspecies relationship. Exactly. But they looked like they had fun. Yeah. So it's a good thing that the alien uh, expressed humor and uh, smiles like humans. Right. And they even shoved the uh, wedding cake in each other's face. Or is that the wedding pie? Uh, I think it's wedding cake. Okay. Well, it kind of looks like pie at the moment, but yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I, I like that. I like that one. It had a nice little bit of humor. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, until next week, hope everybody has a good time. Good good week. Uh, where we're recording now, hope you have a, had a Merry Christmas. <laughs> had a Merry Christmas, yes. yes. It's going to be getting towards heat. Uh, the heat of summer probably by the time this gets out. But as of now... It's winter, and we're we're festive. We're getting ready to have Christmas, so exactly. looking forward to it, as always. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later, Ken, and have a happy new year and happy Christmas. Well, thank you, Donovan. You, too. And you, everybody out there, too. The vast legions of listeners. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.